Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Glad to see you all out here on this rainy day today. You've braved it, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here with us. We have a very special guest today that I just want to introduce to you all before she comes. We had an amazing weekend at our ladies' retreat in Hilton Head this week. Uh, How many of you ladies here were there? Just by raising your hand. Oh, good, good, good. We had a record attendance. Uh, That room was absolutely packed. But it was so exciting, and I was so glad that every woman got to be there. We had an awesome time. But God has brought a very special, now friend, to my life and to the ladies of this church. And she is going to be speaking for us today and sharing God's word. Bonnie Floyd comes from Texas to us. She grew up in California, but God has moved her to Texas. She comes out of the covering of the Oaks Fellowship Church which is a wonderful church, and the pastor is a good friend of ours. But Bonnie is an international teacher, speaker, Bible teacher. She travels all over the world sharing the special story that God has, has given in her life. And there's so much truth and so much uh, that she has to give us out of that that can change and transform our lives if we take the truths that she's going to share today. And Bonnie is not a self-promoter. I got to know her through my daughter and just heard awesome things and then started watching her on the 700 Club and on different YouTube videos, and I knew that I had to have her for our ladies. She has become a dear friend and sister this weekend, and I'm so glad she's here. But she will never promote herself, so I get to promote her today. She has, you'll hear about her book that she's written, the story that comes out of her life, and the, the book is available out in the foyer today after service. She'll be glad to sign it for you if, if uh, time allows. She also has another uh, a CD series of different sermons that she preaches. She won't be able to, of course, share everything with us today, so you may want to pick that up at her product table here. Also, ladies, if you want a complete copy of the whole retreats sermon series. It's available today out at the connection desk, and it will also include the CD from today's service. So that's available for $20 through Maxine Scoobel, and I would, I would highly recommend you buy it for your girlfriend. If you did not get to go to retreat, you're going to want to pick that up because it also includes a continuation of what she's going to share today, which will be very, very meaningful to you. So I just want to introduce my dear friend, Bonnie Floyd. Give her a great Somerville welcome. Good morning. How are you this morning? 
First and foremost, Pastor Larry, I want to thank you so much for um, giving me the privilege and opportunity to address your congregation today. I do not take it lightly when a pastor gives up his pulpit on a Sunday morning. So I consider it a privilege and an honor, and I want to thank you so much, and Jeannie, for inviting me to come and and minister to the ladies. Um, I do want to say this just real briefly, that um, I do have the privilege and opportunity to go many places and speak, and I have to say that... uh, the ladies of Faith Assembly, all campuses, um, loved on me, and I was not with a group of strangers. I was with um, not just friends, but I felt like I was part of your church family, and um, that says a lot for uh, the leadership of your church and, um, and who you are and who you are to your community. So I am blessed to be a part of Faith Assembly, and I will leave here feeling like I am a part of Faith Assembly. So thank you very much. I, I greatly appreciate it. So I don't have a lot of time today, but I have a lot to share. And so I'm going to share my story, which actually is what catapulted me into a very unexpected ministry. And so to this day, I can still see the intensity in my father's blue eyes and the assuredness on his face when he said, Bean, which is my nickname, I promise you, if I ever get into a position that I fear for my life, that I will call on the name of Jesus, but I have never been nor will I ever be in a position that I am not in total control. Yeah, I know. I often wondered what it would take with my father's confidence, uh, confident assurance to, for God to get his attention and show him that no man is always in total control. I thought maybe he would have to speak to him audibly or that my dad would have some burning bush experience. I really thought that it would take something like that. But in the end, all it took was a simple roll of black tape. It was February 1st, 1994 at 6 o'clock in the morning in Fresno, California on what I thought was a normal, cold, and foggy morning. And the phone rang. And when I answered it, there was an unfamiliar voice on the other end of the phone, and he asked me a question. He said, are you Bonnie Clever Floyd? And that question sent a cold chill down my spine. You see, when I married my Donnie, I never hyphenated my name, and so whenever my maiden name is referenced, it always had something to do with my father. And for the first time, In 33 years, the last person I wanted to be was Bill Clever's daughter, and I had no idea why. I didn't answer this man at first, and he said, Mrs. Floyd, are you the daughter of William Norman Clever? I stood motionless, afraid to admit who I was, and after a long pause, I firmly replied with a crackling voice, No. By that time, I'm sure this Mr. Howard, who had uh, uh, introduced himself as calling from the United States Embassy in the island of Antigua, knew that this conversation was not going well. I simply couldn't 
reply. I was pacing the floor. Dread had filled the room. Fear had taken up residency within me, and confusion filled my mind. And for the last time, he asked me again, are you Bonnie Clever Floyd? Are you the daughter of William Norman Clever? I knew I had to answer Mr. Howard. I knew I couldn't just hang up the phone. It was far too late for that and pretend like it never happened. And so I finally admitted that I was, and I asked him what it was that he wanted from me. The inevitable was about to be spoken. Words were about to come out of his mouth that I could never imagine. It was like a nightmare, but it wasn't a nightmare because I was wide awake. And he said, Mrs. Floyd, I regret to inform you that your father has been killed aboard the yacht Challenger. I accused him of this being a sick joke. I called him a liar, and he tried to calm me down the best way that he could. He assured me that he wasn't lying, that this was the truth. And I stood holding the phone in disbelief and my mind racing in a million different directions. And all of a sudden, I thought, what about my mom? And I said that, what about my mom? And he said, I'm sorry. She too has been killed aboard the yacht Challenger. I braced myself against the footboard of my bed and I asked, how, Mr. Howard, how did this happen? And he said, they were murdered in their sleep. The first thought that came to my mind was that they didn't have time to keep their promise to me. You see, Bound to a Promise is a true story, and it's my story. And I have lived every tragic and triumphant moment of it. As I walked this journey, I came face to face with my faith. I had come to a place where I knew what I believed, but did I believe what I knew? When my pastor, G.L. Johnson, I lived in Fresno, California, as I said, and he, um, I attended People's Church in the Central Valley, and he called me, and the words that he spoke to me, I have never forgotten. And he said to me, honey, God could have prevented this, but he did not. And the one thing I know for certain is that God makes no mistakes. He might as well have said to me, Bonnie, choose this day whom you will serve. He took my unstable, trembling feet and set them on solid ground. I knew that I had come to a fork in my walk with the Lord. And God began to show me that as he created us, he created us as a people of choice. We have the free will to choose and that I could either choose the path of peace or I could choose the path of torment. And how we make that choice is knowing the voice of God, knowing when God, knowing that God will always take us down the path of peace, but we have an enemy that seeks to devour us that wants to take us down the path of torment. We have got to become people where we recognize, are able to recognize and discern the voice of God over the voice of the enemy. And we get to know his voice and his character 
by being within the pages of our Bible. The ladies, I'm sure, are just sick of me saying that. I said it every session, every day. But with the truth, we must find ourselves within the pages of our Bible so that we know our God intimately because he intimately knows us. Moving forward, I knew I was going to have to take one day at a time, maybe even one hour at a time. You see, I, was, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I had a great life um, growing up as a kid until my parents started arguing. And the arguing intensified to the point that one day I woke up and my mom had left my dad. The divorce was the beginning of the end for me. I was sure that I would live with my dad um, happily ever after. I loved my mom, but I chose to live with my father. And that was all well and good until um, the waitress at our restaurant moved in and eventually um, he married her. I viewed her only as an intruder and I became that stepdaughter. Yes, I did. I became that stepdaughter. I had one mission in life, and that was to out the intruder. I was certain that when push came to shove, my dad would choose me. And after just a year and a half, I went to live with my mother, and my dad set sail around the world fulfilling a lifelong dream with my stepmom. From this point on, I want you to know that when I refer to my mom, I will be referring to my stepmom. Time doesn't allow. It actually takes a whole retreat to be able to share um, the developments of my salvation, how I came to know the Lord. Um, It happened when they were gone. And after I became a Christian, God began to show me what a wonderful woman my stepmom was. And I eventually came to love her, to admire her, and to call her mom. And so um, as they were uh, sailing around the world, they had been gone for seven years. And during that time, I met and married the cute guy. His name is Donnie. He's the love of my life. The ladies know uh, much about him. I met him at People's Church. Um, We've been married for 30 years. And to this day, he says almost every day that next to Jesus, he is the very best thing that's ever happened to me. And I would have to agree. And I married my Donnie without my father's approval, without my dad uh, walking me down the aisle because they were gone. And my dad had moved on with his life, and so I moved on with mine. But after seven years of sailing around the world, they finally came home. And I was so excited for my Donnie to meet my dad and for my dad to meet my Donnie and to be able to tell them all about the Lord. And meeting Donnie went really well, and meeting Jesus, not so much. The conversation always ended like this. It has obviously made a positive change in your life. They played the devil's advocate, but over a period of time, they began to pay a little more close attention to the things that Donnie and I were sharing with them about the Lord. My dad, um, after their first visit home, they went back to Greece where they had left their boat, and they sold it, and they went to work as captain and first mate aboard the yacht uh, sportsman in the Cote du Jour in France. And um, I always say this about my dad. I always say that he always managed to top the thing that he did last. My dad 
uh, dove for Jacques Cousteau. He was in the NSA. He was a cryptographic liaison. He was an entrepreneur. My dad was an amazing man. And, but when he went from sailing around the world on his own boat to going to work for someone else, I thought, hey, he topped out. Until I started getting my mom's journals that said, we are so enjoying our time on Sportsman. The people who charter this yacht are the Prince, of, um, the Prince of Monaco, the King of Spain, Lady Diana. And I thought, well, he has done it again. <laughs> and there is a man, also a very wealthy man from England. His name is Peter Ogden. And he chartered the yacht on a number of different occasions over a two-year period. And at the end of two years, he invited my parents to go to dinner. And during that dinner, he was very excited to share with them that he had purchased an island. He purchased an island named, called the Island of Jetu. It's in the English Channel between France and England. And it's a private island. And he explained to my parents that he was so impressed with how they ran sportsmen over the number of charters um, that he had been on that he wanted to offer them the position of island administrators. They would be the sole inhabitants of this island, and he would come and go with his family and business associates, and there would be um, employees that would come and go by boat, but that they would run and administrate this island. And so, of course, my father's um, interest was piqued, and they took a flight over to the island of Guernsey and then took the boat over to Jetu, and they fell in love with this little paradise, although mom called it a chilly paradise. And so when they were on the island of Jetu, they could not wait, couldn't wait for us to finally make it there. And, and so Donnie and I saved our money, and we made it, and we were there, and we were able to go for a visit. And we were so excited. We were there for almost a month. And on our last day there, my dad, who is an amazing storyteller, was telling us a story about a sailing couple that had, um, had a near-death experience. And at the end of this story... This intense story where the man had fallen overboard, but his wife found him, which my dad said was more difficult than finding a needle in a haystack than to be able to find a man in the middle of the night, in the middle of the ocean. And, and I was just overcome by the condition of their soul. And at the end of their dad's story, I said, Dad, just promise me one thing. If you ever get in a position that you fear for your life, that you will call on the name of Jesus. And that's when he made me that promise. Over time, Mr. Howard from the U.S. Embassy called me a number of different times, but there is one conversation that will always be in the forefront of my mind, and that is when he called me after a few weeks to tell me that Scotland Yard, who happened to be on the neighboring island of Antigua, went over to the island of Barbuda to take over the case because, you see, it wasn't only my parents that were killed that night, but there were two other people on board, and they were British citizens, and they, so Scotland Yard, took the case over. And for investigative purposes, they asked that the media and even the family members would um, think that they had been murdered in their sleep, but the truth of the matter was is that they had been bound and gagged for hours before they died. And what this man thought would bring me to my knees in torment brought me to my knees in praise and thanksgiving because my first thought was they had time. They had time to keep their promise to me. And I was so thankful for that phone call. 
But I want you to know that thinking about them being bound and gagged is not a place that I want to go in my mind. But I want you to know that that seemingly act of torture bought them time. Bought them time to consider Jesus and bought them time to consider the promise that they made to me. The three men who did this were apprehended and they were, um, and they were brought by, by Scotland Yard. And after two years, the trial commenced and God made a way for me and my Donnie to be able to financially afford to go to Antigua because I wanted to sit in that courtroom and represent my parents every single day. And as the trial unfolded, the gruesome details of um, the trial came about, or, or of, the, of the event came about. They talked about what happened in the beginning and what happened during and, and what happened in the end. And there was one of the three that had done this to my, to my parents. His name is Donaldson Samuel. He is the only one out of the three that confessed from the word go when he was captured. He has told the truth from day one. He also escaped from prison. And when he escaped from prison, he was shot in the head and the chest and the leg. And my first thought was, one down, two to go. Except for he didn't die. And when I found out that he had survived being recaptured, my pastor's words came back to me. And this is what I heard. I could have allowed him to die, but I didn't. And I don't make mistakes. And I knew that God had spared his life for a purpose. God also spoke to me and said, when they were captured, purpose in your heart not to hate. You know, I told the ladies this weekend that I have three voices in my head. I have mine that I'm familiar with. I have God's voice because I find myself within the pages of my Bible and I know who my Lord is and I know how he speaks. But we also have an adversary that seeks to devour us. And I want you to know that Bonnie doesn't talk like that. Purpose in your heart not to hate. Oh, I might now, but I didn't then. And I knew that the enemy wouldn't speak that to me. It's not hard to discern the voice of God if you are familiar with your God and if you are familiar with your adversary that the word of God teaches us. You see, God will always take us to a place of peace and hope and comfort and joy. And the enemy always wants to take us to a place of despair and hopelessness, aggravation and irritation. If you hear a voice that takes you down that path, you are hearing from the enemy. Don't allow the enemy to take you places in your mind that God never intends for you to go. And we do that by knowing our Lord's voice. As I came face to face with my faith, I also came face to face with the murderers. A rugged courtroom in a dilapidated building on the island of Antigua is where these interactions happened. Something unexpected began to take place in my heart when Donaldson Samuel agreed to testify against the other two, and he was the first one who took the stand. As he took the stand, 
I, stu- I sat there for three days like a stone. I shared with the ladies a funny story that time probably doesn't allow for me to share with you, but I am not a big crier. I don't advocate not crying. I know it's cleansing, but for me, it just makes me look ugly, and it never changed anything when I was a kid, and so I've just kind of taught myself to not cry. However, God has a sense of humor, and he had me marry into the Floyd family. The Floyd family are a bunch of crybabies. And they're not just crybabies, but they're snot-slinging crybabies. They can hardly even pray without breaking out in tears. And so um, I share that only to, to share that with you that when I was in court, I sat there for two days like a stone. But on the third day, I began, there was a stirring that happened within me, and I began to feel so compassionate and so sorry for Donaldson, who was on the stand. I didn't want to feel that. And I kept trying to shake it off, but the tears were coming. And, I, and in the courtroom, I, I, would, I was doing this thing where I would look at him and I would cry and then I'd turn and I'd look away and I'd gather myself like I taught myself how to do and I would, and I would say, off, turn off the tears, and then I'd look back, on, and then I'd off, on, And I could not control it. And on one of my on moments, my husband looked over at me and he goes, those tears are for him, aren't they? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know. Off and on and off and on. I don't know. And he said, well, I think you should go outside and gather yourself. And I said, well, I think that's a good idea. And so that's exactly what I did. I went outside. And I stood on the balcony of this dilapidated courthouse and I looked out into the blue Caribbean sky and I asked God, what's happening in here? What's happening to me? And he said, Bonnie, what you are experiencing is this much of my compassion for Donaldson. Because any more than that would physically kill you. And then I asked him, What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to do with this? And he said, I want you to go to the prison and I want you to tell him about my son, Jesus. It's not something that I wanted to do, but I want you to know that I love Jesus with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. And I will do whatever he asks me to because I believe that he has the power and the ability and the faithfulness to empower me to be able to do even the seemingly impossible. And so I shared that with my Donnie that night and it went over like a lead balloon. And he ended up saying, far be it from me to Stop anything that you believe that the Lord is saying to you. Let me talk to the guys from Scotland Yard. He did. It didn't go well. They said not only would I not be able to get into the prison because they're not allowed prisoners, but they had the power and the authority to stop me. Donnie looked at them and said, I have to leave and go home for the rest of the trial, and Bonnie's going to stay with you. I just need one of you to promise me that when her God makes a way to get into the prison that she won't go alone. There was one detective that was sure I would never get in, and he raised his hand, and he said, I promise. (laughs) And so the trial continued on, and um, on the last day of the trial that Donnie was going to be present, a man came, and he said, 
um, he came up to me and he was the superintendent in um, the Antigua Police Department who had been in the courtroom and he walked up and he said, are you Christian? And I said, yes. And he goes, I thought so. He said, may I have the privilege of coming on Sunday and picking you up and taking you to my church that we might worship God together. And I said, okay. And so he did. And he came and he picked us up and he took us all the way to the other side of the island. It was quite a journey. And when we got there, we were loved on by the people of Antigua. They told us, they prayed over us, they loved on us. They said, we're so sorry this happened on our watch. And on the way back to the hotel, Donnie says, hey, babe, why don't you tell Superintendent Gomes what God spoke to you? And he's driving and he says, oh, yes, please do. And so I said, well... I want to get into the prison to see Donaldson Samuel and tell him about Jesus. And he goes, oh, yes, that's very nice. Yes, yes, but you will never get in. <laughs> and I said, but Superintendent Mack, don't you believe that God can make a way where there seems to be no way? And he said, oh, yes, absolutely, yes. And I'm thinking, put your hands back on the wheel. And he says, yes, 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 God can do anything, yes but you will never get in. And as I sat there completely defeated, he then looked over at me and said, but if you do, it will be by Superintendent Mack, M-A-C. I said, Superintendent Mack, okay, how do I meet him? He says, you don't. So Donnie gets on a plane and he flies home. And the trial comes to an end and the other two were sentenced to death by hanging. And Donaldson was facing 35 years to life. Just prior to that last day, a British battleship rolled into the harbor for a royal visit, and I was invited to go with the guys from Scotland Yard for a VIP reception. And when on board this ship, my favorite detective, Jim, who made the promise to Donnie, after a few hours, he said, hey, Bonnie, come over here, come over here. And so I walked over and he said, I think there's one person left on the island you haven't met yet. And I said, I said, oh, and he said, this is the superintendent of Her Majesty's High Prison. And I said, oh, Superintendent Mack, what a pleasure to meet you, sir. And he said, and he looked just like James Earl Jones, and he had his arms folded, and he said, how do you know my name? And Jim says, yeah, how do you know his name? I said, sir, I have been wanting to meet you. And he said, Mrs. Floyd, what could I possibly do for you? <laughs> sir, I am a Christian, and I believe that the same forgiveness that was available to me is available to Donaldson Samuel, and I would like to get into the prison and tell him about Jesus. <laughs> and he looked down at me, and the whole countenance on his face changed, and he goes... Mrs. Floyd, I am an ordained Pentecostal pastor. When would you like to get in to see Donaldson Samuel? Come on, people. That's good right there. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so God made a way for me to get in to see Donaldson Samuel. And when I did... I entered this dark, dismal cell on this beautiful Caribbean island, and I was there for one reason and one reason only, and that was to tell this man about Jesus 
and I was out of there. I want you to know, make no mistake about it, I did not go there to tell him, I forgive you for what you did. I went there to be obedient to my Lord and tell him about Jesus, and I was out of there. And when I got there, I was in Superintendent Mack's office, and, and I was visiting with Superintendent Mack, and I noticed that it took a very, very, very long time for Donaldson to come in. And when he finally did, I noticed two things. One, that he um, had, they had allowed him to change into street clothes, and two, he had taken somewhere from his cell to Superintendent Mack's office, he got a hold of a bottle of Brute Cologne. And he had literally poured the entire bottle all over his body. Now, for those of you youngins in the room that may not know about Brute Cologne, it is a old cologne. And if some of you in here still wear it, you just need to choose not to be offended. But, and I have a CD that you can buy. But, um, and so what, this is 101. If a man has Brute on and he is in the room, if he goes out of the room, he is still in the room all day. And if you touch a man with Brute, you too smell like Brute all day long. But as I'm having this overwhelming smell of this brute cologne, the Lord said to me, Bonnie, this is how he prepared himself to meet you. This is his way of showing you respect. And so I sat down with with Donaldson, and I was able to share my salvation story. I shared with him my parents' salvation story. Because guess what? During the trial, one of the other two that did this said from the stand, the Americans, they must have been Christian because they were praying and calling on the name of Jesus. And then I began to talk to Donaldson about his own salvation. I began to um, talk to him about how, he, how God spared his life when he escaped from prison. I began to talk to him about how he was facing 35 years to life, and he was sentenced to 15 years. That God had a plan and a purpose for his life. That there was a penalty for the sin that he committed, and that was 15 years, and that he needed to take those 15 years and, and, and get to know the Lord and, and to be able to get out and to, have, to be able to make a difference on his island. And um, so I had the opportunity, after I, I spoke with him, I asked him, would you like to pray with me? And he said yes. And as I began to pray with him, we were sitting across from one another and and he, I began to pray, and as soon as I began to pray, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Bonnie, you rarely pray with anyone one-on-one without taking their hands. And I opened my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, before me were no longer the hands of the man that I had become compassionate for, but they were the hands that had literally bound and gagged my parents with black tape. 
And all of a sudden, my adversary came on into my mind, and he was saying, you don't have to do this. You've already done what God's called you to do. You've already told him about Jesus. Jim is waiting outside the door for you. You can run. And I immediately realized that God had not brought me that far and done what he had done for me to get up and run. And I reached out, and I grabbed his hands. And he squeezed my hands so tightly. And that day... I was able to pray with Donaldson Samuel, and he accepted Jesus Christ into his heart as Lord and Savior and asked God to forgive him for what he had done. That day, Donaldson Samuel became my brother in Christ. That day, Donaldson Samuel name was written in the Lamb's book of life. That day, Jesus showed a gorgeous and beautiful display of how our Redeemer lives. And in my act of obedience, in my act of obedience, understand all I went out of sheer obedience, not a willingness, a willingness to be obedient But I had no desire to go to that place. And in my act of obedience, love, the love of Jesus filled my heart and spilled over out as forgiveness. And that day, I forgave Donaldson Samuel. And when I was done praying with him, he looked up at me and he said, I know how to write. And that's a big deal on the island of Barbuda. He said, you write me? I said, Donaldson, if you write me, I will write you. I'll give Superintendent Mack my address. And so he got up. And as he got up, the Lord said, Bonnie, you rarely pray with anyone without giving them a hug first. And I thought, but he smells so bad of brute. (laughs) And I looked at Donaldson, and I said, Donaldson, may I have a hug? And he looked at me, and he came forward, and he gave me the most incredible gentleman's hug. And he turned, and he walked, and he was standing in the, in the, in the doorway, and the bright light was coming from the, from the background, and all I could see was his silhouette. And he said, you come back? And I said, Donaldson, I never thought that I would be here in the first place. But you pray, and I'll pray, and if it's God's will, one day, maybe, I will return. Six weeks later, I was back home, and I received a letter, and I opened it up, and it started out, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that my story, that what I have shared with you and the ladies can testify. Is only half of the story. What God has done since that day is more mind-boggling than the human mind can, can fathom. The title of my book is Bound to a Promise. The second half of my story and my next book will be Bound 
to return. For God has called me and our ministry to return to the island of Barbuda. And God is making a miraculous way for us to set up a foundation in my parents' name, a ministry there where we're working with the youth. Again, time doesn't allow for me to share with you, but I just want you to know that we serve a God that can take a tragedy and turn it into the most beautiful story. I want you to know this. I want you to know that God has the power and the ability to heal your broken heart completely. I want you to know that I have made it to the other side of pain and that my heart is fully healed. I want you to know that if I had to live this all over again, I would choose to live it all over again because God has so perfectly healed me. My parents are in heaven. I have the promise of spending eternity with them. And in the meantime, Donaldson and I have a job to do. And that is to bring as many people as we possibly can into the kingdom of God by sharing our story of love and redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. I'd like to ask you all just to bow your heads for just a moment with your eyes closed and nobody looking around. I just want to ask, I would be remiss in not taking this opportunity to ask if there's anyone in this place or anyone watching online that has not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're like my dad and you think everything's great and you don't have a need for God. Maybe you think that you have to go get all straightened up before you can come to God. That is a lie from the enemy because God's the one that cleans us up. Or maybe, just maybe, you think that you too might have the opportunity to be bound and gagged before you die. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. If my story that my Jesus has allowed me to live has touched your heart and has introduced you to a God that you desire to come into your heart, then I would just ask at this moment for you to just open your eyes and look up. Just open your eyes and look up. This is a big room, and of course, I can't see you, those online, but I want you to know it doesn't matter whether I see your eyes, because I am not your Savior. I am not your Redeemer. Jesus is, and I want you to know that God sees every open eye. Every eye that's open. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.